0: Hi friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You're very welcome if you're joining us for the first time. You're joining along with thousands, tens of thousands of others who have made the decision to make the study of the Word of God part of the rhythm of their daily lives for the next five years or so. Now, if you're here for the very first time, I strongly recommend you have a look at the episode notes page of the podcast. Within the episode notes, you'll find not only a transcript of everything I've said, but links to the, all the various ways you can connect to my ministry and the other teachings that I make available there. But anyway, that's it. I'll catch up with you again at the end when I'll update you about a few things. But other than that, we'll continue straight back in the text where we left off yesterday. So hello friends, we're back again and we're looking at this section and considering the blessings of God and about those people who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now I suspect if we took a survey of the population in general and asked them what was the most well-known passage of scripture in the Bible, I would probably say that I have to admit that probably the first choice would be the Ten Commandments. But I suspect that certainly number two or three on that list might be what is often referred to as the Sermon of the mind. Now, as the philosopher Immanuel Kant once said, there are only three great questions. What can I know? What should I do? And what may I hope? Or as someone once put it another way, there are only three things we as Christian believers need to know. What truth to believe in, and that is found in the creeds, what choices to make, and that is summarised in the commandments, and what we should desire, and that is summarised in the Sermon of the Mount. Now I suspect most people, although they may, put the Ten Commandments top of their list, I think if you were to ask those people to name the Ten Commandments, most could only come up with two or three at the most. Most people, in fact, struggle to get beyond murder and steal, but if you were to ask people to tell you something about the Sermon on the Mount, then most people have no idea what it actually teaches. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus opens it by constantly repeating, and remember, this is his introduction to what he's going to teach, and he constantly repeats the phrase, blessed is, blessed is. So obviously, he's trying to tell us something, set his stall out right at the beginning. Now, when we look around us today, well, it certainly appears that there are some people in the world who are particularly blessed by God. So if that's the case, I immediately, two questions pop into my mind. Number one, what is it I can do to get in on that, to get the blessings of God? And secondly, what will those blessings look like? Well, we've been going through this Sermon on the Mount for a few days now. We're only a few verses in, but the last time we summarised these first three verses of Jesus's blessings. Jesus says that the ones who will be best and he then says how they will be best, the Beatitudes as they're called. And today I'd like us to pick up at blessing number four. Now there are going to be eight blessing statements, Beatitudes altogether. so over the next few days we'll take time to look at all eight. But I would personally say that the next two, the two blessings get to the heart, a place where the Bible is trying to get us to. The next two blessings are probably among the two most important concepts in all of Scripture. So with that in mind, turn with me first and we look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 6. A short verse and the blessing within this one says, Blessing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Okay, so let's begin with thinking about what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness now isn't that sort of contrary to the way you might normally think isn't that a bit upside down we often would think happiness comes after we've been satisfied when our needs are met and very specifically when we no longer feel hungry or or thirsty isn't that when we normally feel most blessed most satisfied but Jesus comes along and turns that on his head and says in essence you are blessed when you are hungry and thirsty and that's the exact opposite Of the way we would naturally think he says blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness but that's frankly a little opposite of what most people out there in the world think i mean as an aside we don't think of righteous people as generally being the happiest people on earth we often would think of someone who is righteous as being a bit of a stuffed shirt We often think righteous people as people who are rigid in their thinking, self-righteous, really, and judgmental. Mark Twain once said, Having spent considerable time with supposedly good people, I understand why Jesus liked to be with sinners. Sounds like Jesus isn't using this word righteous in the way that most people normally think of what righteous means. So I think we need to probe the statement in this word a little bit further. What I'd like to do to begin with today is look at this word righteous. What does Jesus mean when he's saying blessed are those who hunger and thirst after this thing that he calls righteous? What is he talking about? Well, I think it's helpful to understand that the Bible actually teaches about three kinds of righteousness. And in order to fully appreciate what Jesus is saying, we need to understand not only are the three kinds of righteousness but he's referring particularly to one type of righteousness here now there's a commentator who was very famous in the uk here about 50 years ago and he was known for especially digging into the historical background of the scriptures and particularly the greek words in the scriptures his name was william barclay he was head of new testament greek at the university of glasgow and in this passage not just him along with other commentators he makes the interesting observation that there is something that is called instinctive righteousness. That, he says, is a kind of desire that all people have, whether or not they are believers. Now, the Bible tells us that all men and women are sinners, but we also know that deep inside, even in our sin, we are haunted, as Barclay puts it, by instinctive righteousness. I'll just quote his words. He says, even in the mud, People will never forget to look to the stars. And I think he makes a valid point. There is a sense in which everybody has an internal desire to be right living, even if they often trade that type of righteousness for the temporary pleasures of the world. H.G. Wales said of it this way, A man may be a bad musician, yet be passionately in love with music. And Robert Louis Stevenson spoke about those who have sunk to the lowest depths of life, still clutching to the remnant of any virtue left within them. So there is a sense in which all people have some sense of what is right and wrong. Even in the depths of sin, they can still recognise in their heart of hearts, their conscience through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, they can recognise what is right And even if they don't recognize it on a conscious level, there will still be a pull, a desire for what is right. Well, that's the first kind of righteousness and it's an instinctive kind of righteousness. But from a biblical point of view, this is not the type of righteousness that Jesus is talking about here. Because you see from a biblical point of view, the standard is not set by our past performance. The standard is set by God and how we measure up against his standard of righteousness. Paul, in writing to the Romans, said, There are none righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there is an instinctive righteousness, but it is not an intrinsic righteousness. But there's a second kind of righteousness. Now, we're bankrupt when it comes to our own righteousness. We have none. Romans has just told us that. But God can provide us with righteousness, and that is what is called imputed righteousness. And that is the one that is probably most understood in the Western Protestant church anyway. Imputed righteousness goes like this. Paul tells us in Second Corinthians, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. Now the great illustration of this type of righteousness in the Bible is the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, where we were told after he demonstrated faith, Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness, it says in Genesis 15 verse six. So there is a righteousness that is credited to individual people by God in exchange for their faith. So we've talked about two righteousnesses so far, haven't we, instinctive righteousness, whereby everybody has a tendency or is at least aware of what is in and they sometimes cling to that internal righteousness even in the depths of their sin, as a pull, as a prompt of the Holy Spirit. And then there is an imputed righteousness which comes and is gifted to us by faith in Jesus Christ. But there is a third kind of righteousness and this is the type of righteousness that Jesus Christ is talking about here on the Sermon on the Mount. So it's important that we understand what it is. Now you may recall when we began this, what will be a lengthy exposition of the Sermon of the Mount, I started three or four days ago by quoting Jesus' summary statement of this teaching on being blessed, where in Matthew 5.20 he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, in no way will you be able to enter the kingdom of God. And I have also said that I believe, along with many others, that in fact the whole main message of this sermon is about righteousness. Now, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, they had a form of a sort of external righteousness. In other words, they did religious things and they thought that was what made them right with God. But here, again, Jesus turns everything on its head. He comes along and says, no, no, that's not what it's about at all. There's an internal righteousness, an internal practical righteousness, and that's the type of righteousness he's talking about here. And if you recall the first characteristic he mentions as a prerequisite to being blessed by God, well, I'll quote him, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The idea being that you have to come before God with no spiritual resources on your own, accepting your dependence upon God. And that's the kind of righteousness that Jesus is talking about here. It's not this internal, and it's certainly not the external righteousness of the Pharisees. It's a righteousness that comes from being poor in spirit. And in the next verse, the next blessing is blessed are those who mourn. So those who mourn over their own sin and the sin and suffering of others and the world that again is the kind of righteousness that Jesus is talking about. And again, it's not an external righteousness of any form of ritual or a religion. It's an internal righteousness of dependence of God and an awareness of our own sinful state to the point of view where we regret, we mourn, we grieve about it. And then he's topped it off by saying, blessed are the meek. So again, it's talking about an internal attitude of faith, an attitude of faith bedded in humility, in graciousness, in gentleness. So my point is that within the context of the Sermon of the Mount, it's important to understand that Jesus is talking about this internal, practical kind of righteousness. So when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, when he says that as this next blessing, it's clear, we need to be clear, he's talking about this eternal type of righteousness. Because that is what this whole sermon is going to be about. And as we go through, it will not only become more and more important, but it will become clearer and clearer that that's what he's talking about. In chapter 6, he will say, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I think that's critical because there's a sense in which we all are tempted to be self-justifying creatures. We like to justify ourselves and tell ourselves at some level that we are in fact Righteous. Feeling righteous in our own eyes is part of the human condition. Pride it's called. But Jesus makes it clear that he's not talking about what you think or what you think righteousness is. He's talking about what God says righteousness is and he's talking about we needing to hunger and thirst after that internal type of righteousness. I think it's fascinating that the book of Romans, which subject, by the way, its whole subject is this subject of righteousness, it talks about these different kinds of biblical righteousness. And it also talks about justification by faith. Now, in the first few chapters of the book, it tells us that when we trust in Christ, we are declared righteous by God. And when he gets to chapter six, it then switches and he talks about being obedient to righteousness to God. So if you were just to read Romans alone, it becomes apparent that there is a righteousness that comes through faith. But there is also a righteousness that comes through obedience after the salvation event has occurred in the heart of an individual. And it is that type of internal righteousness, internal practical righteousness, that Jesus Christ is talking about here in this passage, this great passage called the Sermon on the Mount. It's been actually suggested, one commentator I read, says that the way this verse is written in the original text, it's talking about this third type of righteousness as being a complete righteousness, which in a sense wraps up the other two within it. So the whole thing is about now, this blessing is about us wanting to have it all, thirsting after both. It's not just wanting a slice of bread, it's wanting and desiring the whole loaf. It's not just wanting a sip of water, it's wanting and desiring the whole jug. And it is this type of intense hunger for the righteousness of God that God desires for us to have. But that leads me to the fact that Jesus says, blessed are the ones who hunger and thirst after that righteousness. We've established what type of righteousness is in, but we're told to hunger and thirst after it. Now, obviously, hunger and thirst are being used here as a metaphor to describe a deep, intense desire for this eternal godliness. Now, I don't really think that people living in the Western world can really get a proper handle on this, because we do not have a true understanding of what it means to be really hungry. Now, I accept that that's not the case in many other parts of the world. So maybe they'll get a handle on this better. And I'm told that in the ancient world, in Jesus' day, people certainly knew what it was to be hungry. Most people in first century Palestine would have to eke out a living meal by meal, day by day. They probably, in fact, only met substantially about once a week. Most of them knew what it was to have, what they called at that time, a growling belly. These people certainly knew what it would have meant to have been hungry. And they also would have known what it was to be thirsty. Remember, there's no taps in the homes of people. There was no ready access to water. If you needed water, it was always a journey or a walk away. And if you were on a long journey, you would have pretty much always have been thirsty and eking out the minimum amount of water that you could have managed with. And if the wind kicked up on a long journey, it often would make matters worse as sand and dust would get in your throat and it was said that it was like you were suffocating well that's the background that's the type of hunger that's the type of thirst that jesus christ is talking about here he's not describing mild hunger pains that a snack will deal with or the thirst that a can of coke will satisfy he's describing the hunger of a man or woman who's actually starving for food and dying of thirst I remember a few years ago reading a story about an earthquake in Turkey where a number of people were buried under rubble and they got most people out digging them out with their hands and they thought they got everybody out when they discovered a small girl and she had been barely alive and she'd been buried under the rubble for five days. And when they dug her out she said she spent the last two days praying and occasionally a drip of water would come through and she spent the whole time with her mouth open hoping to catch each drip of water that came through about once every 20 minutes. And during those last two days she experienced hallucinations all revolving around this intense desire for something to drink. Wow, picture yourself in that condition. Well, if you do, I believe you've got something of the idea of what Jesus is talking about here. Not I'm thirsty and I need a drink. No, I'm dying because I can't get a drink. It's that deep, intense desire that Jesus transfers into righteousness. The ones who are blessed are the ones who have that type of deep, intense hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. And they want that to be part and parcel of their everyday life. Now let me just add, I do believe that this is a process. If you stop and think about it, the very metaphor of hunger and thirst indicates an ongoing process. When you have a drink, do you become thirsty again sometime later? Have you ever ate such a big meal that you decided, you know what, I'm not going to eat for days? Like our Christmas dinner in the UK, where maybe you stuff yourself with food and you sit at the end thinking, I'm never going to eat food again. Or certainly, I'm not going to eat for the rest of the holidays. And then about six hours later, you find yourself nibbling at the turkey again. So this is not describing an isolated experience that you have and then it's over. It's an ongoing daily process in which we hunger and we thirst after righteousness continually and just when we think we are filled we desire it again so maybe I should add the word continuum for this concept it's an intense and continuous internal hunger for the righteousness of God and Jesus says the one the people who have that are the ones who will be blessed but how will they be blessed well we look at that next time Okay, people, I hope you find that helpful and encouraging. A quick reminder, like I said at the beginning, there's an episode notes page. There's lots of ways you can connect with my ministry in there. There's the YouTube channel in which I put long format teaching versions of these messages together and package them so you can search through them by season or by individual book of the Bible. There's also the Facebook page and my Patreon page and even my own personal LinkedIn page, places where I maybe place more discipleship-based teaching programs, and also sometimes, just as a bonus, I put audios and videos of talks I've given in non-Christian environments, places where I go out and try and find a place where the Bible, or the Word of God or the Christian life intersects with the interests of ordinary people. I've in the past done talks um, art societies and even talks dealing with issues like mental health, anything really where there's a mutual interest group that looks for a speaker and I go in there and try and find a common ground between what they're interested in and what maybe the Bible would teach us about it. So that's the place you'll find those sorts of things. And that's also the place where you can connect and become a partner in this ministry if you feel God's calling you to do that. But the most important thing, friends, is is I just want to say thank you for making the decision to commit to join with me on this journey through the entire Bible. I'm being blessed by it and I trust and play that God gives me the time, the health and the resources to see this project through to completion. But if you're benefiting from it in any way, I would just ask that you would consider sharing it sharing it with others and any social media places that you happen to inhabit so that other people may come to make the same decision as you and make this part of the rhythm of the daily lives and be blessed by the study not just the reading but the study of the word of God and if you want to make sure you don't ever miss an episode then it's really worth clicking the subscribe button on whichever place you happen to receive the podcast from with that all said, that's it for today. I do hope to see you back here again tomorrow when we'll continue our journey on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.